0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Welcome, you're listening to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio with your host Darren Fatman McDuck. And now... Kraken, welcome back to another episode of Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio, brought to you by I'mTheFatMan.com. I'm your host, Darren McDuffie, and we have a good show for you tonight, waiting on Dr. Janet Roseman to call in on her book, If Joan of Arc Had Cancer. For those of you out there who have uh, looked at my story, you know that I lost my mom to breast cancer in 2005. It was, and um, right before the day after Thanksgiving, rather, so it kind of sticks in my mind. But um, we will be talking to Dr. Janet Roseman um, regarding that. If you have not connected with me on social media, please do so. My um, social media connections are Facebook, Facebook dot com slash I'm the Fat Man. Also, I'm on Pinterest, and that is I'm the Fat Man one. And then Twitter is the Fat underscore man. I was not able to get uh I'm the Fat Man for uh Twitter, but but it's the Fat underscore man as well. So um waiting for Dr. Roseman to call in while I'm doing that, just wanted to share with you what I did over the weekend. I actually was at Siesta Key Beach, which is in Sarasota, Florida, one of my, my favorite places to go. Got a chance to spend about two hours on the um, beach, and then it started pouring down, raining. For some reason, we've had this crazy front over South Florida, and it just keeps raining and raining, so I wasn't able to do as much as I had planned to do, but it was just nice to be able to relax and get away for a couple of days and just uh, enjoy, enjoy uh, nature, even though I was not able to get outside. I did enjoy some things that I don't normally get to do because when you're here, when I'm here in South Florida, it's usually work, work, work. And I did really get to go to a really nice gluten-free bakery. For those of you out there, I'm gluten sensitive. So whenever I can indulge in gluten-free baking and have a treat, I found a place that had cinnamon rolls just like Cinnabon used to have or Cinnabon has. I can't eat those any longer, but the cinnamon rolls were delicious. And it was the island island. I can't remember the name of the place. It's Island Free uh, Bakery, I believe it, it was, and it's actually in Sarasota, Florida. But um great place, and you can actually order online. And you can order hot dog buns, hamburger buns, and it's a really nice facility. They don't allow any gluten in there for any type of contamination. But um, I think it's called the Island Free Bakery. And, again, it's in Sarasota, Florida, if you want to look that up on the Internet. You should be able to find it. I know it's Island somewhere in there. I can't remember the exact name, and I don't have the brochure sitting in front of me. But just wanted to give them a quick shout-out. So I believe this is Dr. Roseman on the switchboard. Let me see. Dr. Yep. Roseman, is that you? That is me. Hey, welcome Hi. to Perfectly Healthy and Radio. How are you tonight?
0: I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. I'm doing fabulous. I um I usually ask everybody to call in five minutes before, but I thought, oh, well, you know what? I'll try something different. So you are on time. So I, right. I, I thank you for that, and I'm looking forward to discussing your book, If Joan of Arc Had Cancer. Before we get into the interview, just tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you have a very interesting background. I have some, actually, questions about your background, but share with us how you oh. got into health, health and wellness. Um.
0: Yeah. I I'm a quirky kind of gal. Let's see. I um I've always been in academia for quite a long time. I've used to teach writing um for many, many years and I kind of I was a journalist before that. I was a TV producer at ABC for quite a while. Um and then I ended up going to the medical route. I was um I worked at Brown University Medical School for 8 years um mm-hmm. in the area of spirituality and medicine and compassionate care and kind of my life kind of changed actually my my mom was uh diagnosed with a very rare cancer and I became her advocate and took care of her for many years but I was mostly What led me into it really was her, and I was extremely disturbed by the way that she was being treated by physicians. And I thought, you know, here's a woman who's incredibly intelligent, and she had edited all my books, and, you know, she was a smart cookie. And I thought, you know, if she's being treated like this and she has a voice and she's not afraid to talk to physicians, You know, what about the people who are silenced and who are frightened and and don't speak up? And um, it just disturbed me so much, I became very involved in trying to transform the culture. I mean, that's probably it in a nutshell. But um, I, let's see, I was a fellow at the Kluge Center at the Library of Congress in Mm -hmm. spirituality and medicine, which was amazing, an amazing experience. I don't know if you or any of your listeners has been to the library of Congress, but it's a very impressive place. And I had the opportunity opportunity literally where I could order any book as a scholar, any book that I wanted that's ever been printed in the history of man. And the next day it would appear at my desk.
1: (laughs) Wow. It was
0: like, Oh my God. So I would order like, you know, 50 books a night and knowing i couldn't possibly read everything but just to be able to kind of look through and have that opportunity it was it was an amazing opportunity i was very 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 um honored you know to get that opportunity and um it was very cool very cool Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm actually overwhelmed by Alvin Sherman Library on NOVA, where you teach. (laughs) (laughs) The Library of Congress
0: is, uh, and it's gorgeous. You know, it's just so old and um, beautiful, and it has such history, and um, it's just lovely, just really lovely.
1: So one question I have for you, because I know this is, I've seen this a couple of times before, and um, it mentioned in your bio that you were a medical intuitive. Can you share with the audience what that actually means?
0: What that means, actually, and everyone, you know, has a different approach, but um, I, I do do healing work, and I have for a long time. And it's the ability to really see what's going on inside the body. So if you ask ten different medical intuitives how they work, I'm sure you'll get you know ten different answers but um i'm usually i I can see you know I just see things or I'm told things and um i'm it's you know something that was given to me, not something I sought out it's um it's pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, that's just I guess it's a gift. But um with your book, I remember receiving the book and I said if Joan of Arc had cancer and I'm like, hmm Tell us why you actually did the book kind of centered around uh Joan of Arc. What 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 prompted that? Well
0: actually um she found me. Joan found me, um after my mom had passed, I was In a consignment store, actually, in Boca Raton, and I was talking to my mom, and I was really not doing very well and just missing her desperately. And I just said, all right, if you hear me, you know, just send me a sign. I really need, I needed that connection, and I still need that connection. And I'm walking around, and within about literally, Darren, five minutes, this huge painting fell at my foot. And I pick it up, and it's a picture of Joan of Arc on her horse, holding her banner up in her flag, up in front of her body, raising it really high, and in, in, you know, a symbol of victory. And I thought, okay, that's my mom. And I was very intrigued by Joan of Arc. I mean, I knew what most people know, that, um, you know, she had rescued the Dauphine of France and restored him to his rightful throne, and... She was burned at the stake when she was a teenager, but I didn't really know, you know, all of the details about her life, and she was extraordinary. I mean, here was a a young girl in the Middle Ages leaving home and convincing a king that he should put her in charge of thousands and thousands and thousands of men, and he did and she restored his rightful place, you know, as as king, and that's pretty impressive. So when I was reading her trials, I just thought, what better symbol to really, you know, for people to resonate with in terms of, you know, when you're navigating cancer or any serious illness, it demands courage, and I really, I dislike the mythology that, people with cancer were weak, and, you know, to be pitied, because I have seen, you know, I've worked with many, many women with cancer, and, you Mm. know, and my mom, and I thought, oh, my God, they have such courage. I don't know that I would have, you know, the same kind of courage, and I loved, the more I read about Joan, the more I loved her, and I wanted to help women navigating their journey and I thought what you know, what better archetype and and historical figure than Joan.
1: Yeah, as I was reading your book, I lo- I lost my mom to breast cancer in uh, two thousand five and some of the things that Oh,
0: I'm sorry, you- Darren. Oh,
1: that's okay. Um it's still there but you know, you get over it after a while. But um one of the things I remember from the book is just all the things that I remember about my mom, like some of the things were coming up, like her will. She had a really strong will and she's, I tell people this, excuse me. I tell people this a lot that my mom is probably the strongest person that I know because I don't know anyone who could have at the point where she knew that she had to give up the fight. She did not want to share that with my sister and I, she didn't want us to, uh, be sad or anything like that she told my aunt but she didn't share it with my sister and I so for someone to keep that away from their children I think that they have to really really be strong in order to still be protecting your kids when you know that you know you're going to to pass on and I just tell everybody that she's probably the strongest person that I know Mm. Um, from a spiritual standpoint and knowing what you know how do you tackle this this thing when you get that diagnosis when the doctor tells you that you have uh cancer what, what how would you attack that from a spiritual uh, perspective maybe not attack but how would you handle it from a, a spiritual perspective
0: you know i i think you know i i've never been diagnosed so i can't say how i would i would do it um mm-hmm. i and i think everybody is really different and what I wanted to do in the book was really provide tools, you know, provide tools for insight and provide tools to help women or or anyone, you know, navigating their journey, a difficult journey with, um, you know, making sure that their healthcare providers, for example, are on the same page, you know, that they explain everything to find access of a spiritual or a religious system that they can go to. And for some people that might be, you know, going to church or saying their prayers every day, or it might be lighting a candle, or maybe it's just walking, you know, or gardening and putting your hands in the earth, which is nurturing. So it's really, it's such a personal um, relationship. And everyone, I think, has their own way of, finding that personal relationship with you know the divine and and i would never tell anybody what you know what to do or how to do it but i i think the core of it is just finding something that can provide you with sustenance in a difficult time and as i said you know that could be gardening or walking or maybe it's crying you know you know it really maybe it's meditation and um in the beginning of the book, I have, you know, meditations for that I kind of envisioned every day that people could do that could kind of help them connect with the spiritual side and in a way that's very open because I, I don't like to tell people how to receive information. You know, I think that's very personal.
1: Yeah, you mentioned in the book, and this this quote kind of stuck out with me, was you said something along the lines that practitioners now receive little in the way of psychological psychological and spiritual aspects of illness. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit?
0: Well, I think particularly in oncology, you know, if we're talking about cancer, um, oncology physicians are not usually, you know, trained to address the spiritual aspects of health, but there's numerous i mean hundreds literally hundreds of studies that show that um patients of any severe illness actually who have a strong spiritual belief usually get through their treatments better you know they ha- they are um they have some system of support and for some people it's you know it might be that they go to church and they have a really strong community that supports them and unfortunately um Physicians aren't trained in this area, and I run a program called the Sydney Project in Spirituality and Medicine and Compassionate Care, where I try to train, you know, physicians during their residency to talk about spirituality in medicine and to receive tools for asking their patients about spirituality and medicine and, you know, and really looking at their own stuff, you know, really looking at the taboo topics in medicine that nobody really talks about. So I think it's imperative. It's not just like a nice thing. It's imperative because I, I don't think that you can be a great doctor clinically, but if you're not a great human being, then you're really not a healer. You know, mm-hmm. it's there are two different things. You're a technician. You know, you're a really good technician, but that's very different than being a mindful and kind and compassionate physician.
1: Yeah, I think um, to diving into this a little bit deeper, I think that a lot of physicians tend to uh, miss a little bit of that bedside manner where they can get into a person's psyche and kind of feel what they're feeling, and they kind of miss that that healing aspect of relaying to the patient that you know they're safe to have faith in in what's going on. A lot of doctors seem to to miss that that aspect.
0: Well, they don't consider it important. And which is really a shame because the literature proves that it is very important. and Or they're scared off by it themselves because they haven't really done their own work, you know, to really look at themselves and see what their feelings are. And, you know, the bottom line, and I tell physicians, you know, whatever your feelings, your personal feelings might be, that's separate. You know, that's totally separate. It's not about your personal beliefs. It's about your patients' personal beliefs. And, for example, if you have a patient who's fasting because of spiritual or religious reasons and you're giving them medication and you don't know that they're fasting, that's a huge problem. You know, you need to know that. You need to ask those questions. Um, You need to know what people's, you know, beliefs are and, and offer Guidance, just even you know encouragement if they f- have something that really provides sustenance and support and hope, then that discussion needs to be part of the clinical encounter.
1: I totally agree with you there um from a spiritual aspect of voicing or being able to speak up, I know that a lot of people I come from the pharmaceutical industry and from when I was in that industry, I know how people would just sit in the waiting room, and I got a chance to experience being in the room with someone who was going through a procedure, and they never asked one question about what they were going through, how they, why were they going through it. They just kind of sat down. But you mentioned in the book something that I'm very adamant about, and that is mm-hmm. asking about your treatment and asking for second opinions. How does that tie into the overall healing aspect or spiritual aspect of, of your book?
0: Well, I think it's really important to find, um, you know, at the back of the book I have a whole code of healing. And um, in the code, which I think Joan would certainly endorse, um, because she was a great proponent of speaking her truth, and part of speaking your truth is really, you know, knowing yourself, knowing your body, knowing what feels right. And I'll give you an example. Um, I have a very good friend who was being treated for cancer, and every time she went to get her infusion, her chemotherapy, her physician, who she had known for over six years, would walk right by her. He'd mm. never say, hi, how are you? How are you doing today? Um, can I get you a glass of water? Or, you know, have the kids? He never... He just ignored her, and I had this conversation with her, and it was obviously very disturbing for her. And I said, well, why why don't you just tell him that that was very hurtful and it could really help you? And she said, oh, no, I don't want to upset him. And we need to do a turnaround. You know, the culture needs to do a turnaround because the healthcare professionals that you go to work for you. You don't Mm -hmm. work for them. And part of that is insisting on compassion and mindfulness and uh, politeness and kindness, you know, as part of your treatment plan. And if someone is not offering that, it's important to, you know, find other people. So you can co-create your healthcare care team with groups of people that you feel very comfortable with, that you feel are really there to help you and I think there are compassionate physicians, but unfortunately, I'd like to get to the point where the bad doctor' stories don't are very few and far between instead mm-hmm. of you know we hear more bad doctor stories than we hear good doctor stories, and that's a tragedy
1: yeah yeah i I would certainly agree with you there um. I have a just a question for you and you and this. Actually, it's not a personal question, just a question of belief. But do you believe that emotions can cause illness, certain emotions? Um,
0: sorry, I was just taking some water. That's okay. <clears throat> sorry. Um, I believe that how you deal with things, <clears throat> excuse me, how you deal with things affects you know everything which makes sense whether you're you're ill or not but I am not of the mind that you know you you caused your illness or there's something in you that caused it and I vehemently dislike books that say you know well it's all <clears throat> it's all because of your quote negative emotions because I think it's just victimizing people and you know if we look at the saints all of the saints had severe illness and they were the purest people on the planet so to you know when people say that to me and a lot of people do i just get really pissed off because i think it's it's not helpful it doesn't help people it just you already have a devastating illness and that feels horrible and you know is overwhelming but but don't bring that other Aspect, I think what would be more useful is let's look at how you're feeling and let's work with the emotions. Let's work with your anger. Let's work with your grief. Let's work with your sadness. Um, Because it's a very uh, transformational time. And I think it's really important to, you know, find people who are willing to help you go through this transformation in a way that's positive. And certainly by blaming somebody is not – that's not going to help, you know?
1: Yeah, you mentioned in your book uh, about – and you talk, you said about just working through the emotions, the anger, and um, that kind of caught my eye on the chapter, I believe, was talk about surrendering because I know that a lot of times in society we're taught to fight everything. We're taught to fight drugs. Mm-hmm. We're taught to fight war. But it's just – and this is something that I kind of incorporated months and months ago because I was always putting out information on health, and it mm-hmm. was all about let's fight this, let's fight this. But then I said, you know what? I'm going to start surrendering to this and just putting the information out there for those people who want the information. But how important is it for it for it for is it how important is it for us? I can't talk. How important for it is for us to surrender when we, we do have those feelings that come up when you are diagnosed with an illness.
0: You know, you bring up a good point, Darren, and I think, um, you know, the usual mode is, you know, we have to fight this and you'll get through this. And um, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but no one can keep up a brave face all the time because we're human beings. And sometimes surrendering to, you know, a confu- I'm confused or I'm feeling really sad or I'm feeling you know like i've lost my life is a way of you know it's truthful okay yes your life is different you know your life is not lost but your life is different so really honoring what you're feeling i think that's really the key and and being able to speak the truth and the most important thing in speaking the truth especially, you know, when one is sick, is finding people who really understand, you know, who are not not going to try to fix it, but who can sit with you, you know, who can really witness what you're going through in a kind and compassionate manner. And sometimes that means, you know, finding a professional who has experience, who can guide you through those feelings. And they're normal you know, why wouldn't you be angry and sad and grief-stricken and angry? Oh, I said angry, but, you know, these are all normal emotions. All of our emotions are useful. You know, even fear is useful. So really exploring, you know, what what is it that I'm feeling and where is it in my body because maybe I'm holding you know, information that I haven't yet been willing to release, you know, can be a huge release. I mean, how many times do people have a good cry and they feel better? So, you know, being mindful of what's going on, I I think, you know, knowing yourself, knowing what your body is trying to tell you, because our bodies are incredibly intelligent. You know, they, they don't lie. Our words might, we might be able to make up a story, but our bodies. You
1: know, they're pretty in tune. Yeah, I always hold everything in my stomach for some odd reason. I always feel everything in my stomach. But um, getting back to talking about fear, because there were two unorthodox things in your book that many people don't uh, agree with. It's not conventional. One was fear and how fear can be useful to us. And then the other one, I believe, is the patience. When you were talking about patience and how patience may not be a virtue. Talk about those two things.
0: Oh, okay. Well, yeah, fear I mean, fear gets a bad rap. You know, we should never be fearful, and that's a negative emotion. Well, fear is a positive thing. You know, when we're feeling fearful, usually there's something going on. So why, you know, examining, okay, why am I feeling fearful? Where is this coming from? If I'm feeling panicky, where is it? You know, is it in my body? Is it mine? Maybe I'm, you know, carrying fear that other people are feeling and it really doesn't even belong to me. So really looking at where is it stemming from, you know, really looking at the core of it and making, you know, when you make fear your ally, I think, and I have a whole you know um suggestion and meditation so you can really work with fear as your friend because it's it's just an emotion it's not negative or positive it's just part of the spectrum of feelings so accepting that you're feeling fearful i mean if you're going to pretend it's not there i don't think it's going to go away so really looking at you know where is this emotion coming from I think is key. And really being honest with yourself is also key. Mm-hmm. And in terms of patience, um, I I have a whole chapter on patience because I wanted I thought how interesting, you know, the word patience and the word patient and mm-hmm. really looking at you are being patient in your healthcare um treatment but really examining it, you know, is your doctor calling you back when you need answers? You know, for a physician to make someone wait four or five days for test results when they already have the test results, I think is just really mean and unnecessary. And, you know, to really explore are you being patient because you think if you speak up that would be bad or do you actually really need to be patient? And maybe you do. Maybe you do have to wait because... The information isn't in there, but you know the the key personality trait one of them that Joan had was really being authentic and being empowered, and and that's really you know my vision for this book. I wanted people who read it and actually used the meditations, and then the second part of the book is called Gateways to Courage, and is a little bit more self reflective, but I wanted. I wanted people going through a difficult time to feel empowered because getting, you know, a, a difficult diagnosis is totally disempowering. So, you know, what can you do on your journey to make yourself feel empowered and, you know, asking questions, choosing the right healthcare professionals, creating an army of support. I mean, there are things that people can do that they might not have realized that they could do, which can then affect um, them feeling more in control as opposed to the diagnosis being in control because, you know, your diagnosis is just part of you, but it's not all of you.
1: Yeah, you mentioned that in the um, the quote in your book. Um, Another question is Mm -hmm. once you... Good question, Darren. Thank you. We're talking about these emotions of fear and and obviously having more patience. But if I can put myself in someone else's place and I'm diagnosed with cancer and you can put yourself in that place as well, and – for me, I'm feeling all kinds of emotions that are going through my head. How do I regain clarity? Is meditation a good way for me to kind of calm things down? Or is there some other techniques that I can, I can use to just gain clarity? Because it seems to me that like clarity will go out of the window once you get that, that diagnosis.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I tell physicians when you're breaking bad news, all they're going to hear is the diagnosis and the rest of it is just totally nothing. You know, they're not going to hear the anything else. And that would make total sense. So, you know, one of the first things that I would suggest to people is being extra, extra kind to yourself and really giving yourself the space and the time to absorb what's going on, to, you know, you don't have to make a decision in 20 minutes, to really spend the time to do some research, you know, spend the time building an army of support, finding your healthcare team, uh, you know, finding people that you feel comfortable with, and meditation is a great tool, i think, uh, just to get still because if you're, you know, in this chaotic Mode where all you're hearing is other people just talking at you, you're not going to have an opportunity to really listen to your own truth and what you want. So maybe taking a walk every night, you know, maybe that's an opportunity to be still. Or meditation might be a way to be still. And, you know, certainly people can use the meditations in the book to help them. Or maybe it's drawing or... Um, just being quiet. You know, how often are we really quiet in our lives? Not that often, you know, unless we really make that a priority.
1: Yeah, it's, you're right. As I know, for me, when I first started meditating, that was, I realized how much I was not quiet, how much I missed by just not listening to, you know, what my body was telling me and just calming my calming my mind. Uh, I had a gentleman on the show couple weeks ago and he wrote a book called from faith to fear and he actually overcame uh, cancer and he mentioned something and your book kind of tied into what he was saying he mentioned that he just started to kind of get away from everything that was negative it was a negative TV show if it was um, a negative conversation he just didn't allow any negativity around him during that point in time where he was dealing with his uh, illness and your in your book, you talked about humor, the, the act of using humor and being able to still laugh. And I wonder how important that that is to someone who has cancer to be able to kind of eliminate what's going on outside and still be able to laugh, even though they might feel their situation isn't the best situation to be in.
0: Well, you know, I think laughter is important for everybody, you know, whether you're ill or not and i also think getting away from negativity is also important just in general in our lives because we're bombarded you know we're bombarded on the radio on television sometimes at work you know with people who are really negative and that's not going to be helpful and especially when you're ill you again you want to go back to that nurturing soulful spiritual path that will help you And, um, you know, for example, it's a minor, minor example, but, you know, calling people that you know have always disappointed you in the past. So to expect that now, because you're ill, that they might actually be strong and help you get through this, they might, but probably a better vehicle would be to actually talk about your feelings with people that you know support you no matter what. You know, so even something as simple as looking for support in the right place. You know, and not expecting from people who have not kind of, you know, shown up before because usually they don't. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, you can't tell somebody to laugh and, you know, be cheerful. I mean, uh, often people will when somebody is sick, they'll just try to distract people. And that's not always, a, a, you know, a, a good avenue. Sometimes, you know, that might work for some people, but I think everybody's different and really honoring where you are in your journey. And maybe today is you're not going to laugh. Maybe things look really awful. And okay, you know, and that could be true of anybody, whether they're sick or not. But tomorrow might bring a whole new day you know, and you might meet some beautiful people, and y- you just never know what life has to offer. But I would agree with your your guest, you know, about really getting rid of people who are not going to add anything to your life. And I think that's probably useful, whether you're ill or not, um, to really. But it takes, you know, it takes work and it takes um, consciousness, And it takes intention, but, you know, even something, I I have a chapter about, you know, writing about where people can write down what they do that nurtures them and Mm -hmm. um, finding ways to be around, maybe it's not people, maybe it's animals, you know, maybe animals are where you find your joy, and that's great you know or maybe going to the botanical gardens is a place or going to the art museum i mean there there're things that people can do that can bring bring a lot of a lot of healing and um it's really about finding what what are those things you know what what are those things that you need now and oh and the other piece that i just want to mention is um talking about negativity is learning to say no Is really important. Really, you know, empowering yourself, being honest, being authentic, and when you're tired and you're not up to do something, saying, "Thank you, that's a lovely invitation, but I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not feeling up to it right now." But thank you. Being able to say no, you know.
1: Yeah, that that seems to be a big thing. I know you wrote your book geared towards women, and that seems to be. A big thing with women. Women just feel like they have to always, you know, whatever they're invited to, they feel like they always have to go. And then the other thing, and this is something that that stayed with me from my fitness days when I used to work with women, was the fact Mm -hmm. that they had a really big problem with putting themselves themselves first. And you talk about that a little bit in the the book. I think it was priority or something or prioritizing or something. Prioritized, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I think for women um often depending on how you're raised, you know, it's uh, they kind of equate putting themselves first with being selfish. And it's not true. You know, if I don't take care of myself and I'm not always 100% you know perfect in this, but <clears throat> if I don't do that, then I'm not really able to offer a whole lot of myself to anyone else because I'm, you know, I'm needing the nurturing. So recognizing, you know, recognizing what you need and really acknowledging, um, you know, these are the things that I need for my healing and creating a plan, you know, creating a plan so you can choose accordingly and make decisions that will be in your best interest and really you know, if this is the time, I mean, if somebody certainly has a serious diagnosis, I can't think of a better time to say I'm putting me first. You know, my health is number one priority, and um, any anyone going through a difficult journey needs to do that.
1: Yeah, I think sometimes just with women they have a real big problem with putting themselves, or even when they were, even when they're ill I remember my mom's you know when my mom was ill she was still trying to do for my sister and I and I had to be like hey you know just chill out this isn't about us this is about you and you know we would always want to do things for her but she was just like oh I can do this I can do that but you know it's like hey just you got to chill out and Take care of yourself first. We we're you know, we we're we were grown children. I was thirty five at the time. My sister's seven years younger than I am, but mm-hmm. I remember my mom still trying to take care of us, still when we came home, she would still try to cook and, and do different things. You know, hey, like, chill out. I, I don't need it right now. It's okay. You did it for so many years. Chill out and take care of yourself. Um nope, your, book, for you. your book was really again, I said geared towards women, but I found myself as I was reading it as a male some of the things were hitting home with me with personal power and a lot of the, the other, other things. But do you find that men read the book as well, even though you were writing it specifically from a woman's point of view?
0: Well, thank you for saying that. I'm happy to hear that. Um, You know, mostly my contact has been with women, you know, in the workshops that I've done, have been primarily geared towards women, Um, I would hope,
1: and and actually what I've
0: heard, which I thought was really interesting, is a lot of people have said to me, you know, this isn't a book about just women with cancer. This is really a book for people going through any challenge in their life. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, that's really lovely. You know, that's really beautiful to hear. And, I mean, not that they're going through a challenge, but that it could be helpful And I think even though it was written for a woman, it's not, you know, every human being experiences all of the emotions that I address. And, you know, why not use Joan as a symbol, you know, of courage? Or maybe you have your own symbol that you would prefer. So, um, yeah, you know, my wish is that it will really speak to those who need it. And really, you know, feel they can gain some wisdom from it, their own personal wisdom.
1: Yeah, the theme in the book, like when I first started reading it, as I got through and the middle and to the end, it just seems like it was building towards um, more of you can get over this. This is a hurdle and you can get over it. And that's the theme that I got from the book. And there was one quote that I wanted to end with that I wanted you to expand on because it it, it speaks to so much more than cancer. Um, I see this a lot. You know, I always talk to people in the health and wellness industry, but I see this A lot, and I wanted you to kind of expand on this. And I believe it might have been in like the first chapter when I highlighted this. But it says, "Cancer may be your diagnosis, but it is not your definition." Explain that a little bit more.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, having an illness obviously is very consuming, but it's not all of you. You know, it's part of you. You're a person who happens to have this diagnosis, but you're not the diagnosis, and. That's something that I think medicine would really, they should learn. You know, unfortunately, they just learn disease systems, but they don't look at the whole person, and that's imperative because someone might have a diagnosis of cancer, but they might be a world-class chef and a mom or a dad and a sister or a brother or a cousin or, um, you know, we're, we're lots of things so labeling yourself just with a diagnosis i don't think is helpful to anybody and really looking at you know all of you and the whole uh, the whole person and and i will say too i don't you know everybody's different in terms of the types of um disease system that might be going on and i i'm hoping you know this book will help them and it's not going to, quote, cure people, but I believe it could be a very potent prescription for while they're dealing with their diagnosis and to really, I think the book helps the reader really explore all those different parts of themselves besides the diagnosis to really look at, at, you know, all of the other areas of, of who you are. And I think that's, Pretty much another reason I wrote it was, you know, it was missing for me. I I read a lot of books on cancer, and I just thought, you know, this really is just all theoretical. It's not, it doesn't offer tools, and that's what I wanted. I wanted people who are reading the book to discover for themselves what would be helpful, you know, what would really speak to them.
1: Yeah, you did a good job. And I think it also just adds faith because I've seen where people, if it's a life-threatening illness such as cancer, then what I think happens with a lot of people is that faith goes out of the window and they start becoming that illness. And then from there, you know, everything rolls downhill. But your book seems to build upon that theme of faith, like having faith, being able to go within yourself and approach it from a different angle, rather than being you know all over the place (laughs) once you receive the diagnosis it just kind of gives you that uh inner peace That kind of let me rope this in and and roll with it and see where it comes out but there are a lot of good tips in the book i read it from from cover to cover and i I really enjoyed it thank you Thank
0: you. And, and you know as i said everybody's journey is different and to be respected and um you know i've worked with people who were at end of life and I've worked with people, you know, who were newly diagnosed and survivors for, you know, decades. So um it really uh, I I'm hoping that whoever as I said, you know, whoever's reading it finds something that will really help them for where they are at the moment, like you said.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um is there anything else you wanted to add, Doctor Roseman?
0: I think so. I, I guess, you know, the most important piece of all of this really is being authentic, like Joan was, you know, being empowered and not being afraid to speak up, you know, to really ask for what you want from your healthcare care providers, from your family, from your friends, and being firm. And the only way you can do that is maybe it's baby steps, but really examining you know, the basis of what it is. You know, what do you need? What is going to help you feel empowered? And that's really, you know, the first step.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think that we should start holding our healthcare protect- practitioners more responsible and asking more questions. And a lot of people don't do that. So I definitely agree with you. And your book is. If Joan of Arc had cancer, and that's available on Amazon. They can order that on Amazon.
0: Yes, and they can get it at Amazon. It's at Barnes and & Noble, and it's also at New World Library.
1: Okay. They can and order have, it directly. Do you have a personal uh, website? or uh,
0: You know, I have a Facebook page, and it's called it's Facebook slash If Joan of Arc had cancer.
1: Okay. I have to check it out. I didn't know you. I know you were on your personal Facebook, but I didn't know you had that, so I have to check that one out. And that's Facebook.com/slash-if-Joan-of-Arc-had-cancer. Yes. Okay. All right. Cool. Thank you so much for your time tonight, Doctor. Oh, thank you, Darren. I really
0: enjoyed talking to you, and I appreciated your uh, insightful questions. So, thank you.
1: All right. Thank you. You have a good night.
0: All right. You too. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: All right. Good show tonight. Hope you learned something on cancer, but most of all, knowing that you can overcome those obstacles. Sometimes I think that a lot of people become their illness. Like I said with Dr. Roseman, a lot of people get that diagnosis and it goes downhill and the body is remarkable. It can recover from from anything. You have the power to recover from anything using the the mind-body connection. So, You have to believe that. The book, again, is If Joan of Arc Had Cancer. Next week, we'll be actually talking about Beef, Defending Beef with Nicolette Neiman. I think, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that her last name right, but I know the first name is Nicolette, Defending Beef, and uh, should be a good show next week. I started eating beef, again, about two or three years ago after having a lot of stomach problems, and uh, I felt that I would always be off beef and then just decide to to try grass-fed beef and just so happened that i didn't encounter those stomach aches anymore by eating the grass-fed beef so we'll be talking a little bit about beef defending beef is the name of her book and her name is nicolette neiman so join me next week same fat time same fat channel peace and love y'all and i will talk to you next week